You're listening to the teaching podcast of The Crossing Church. We exist so that the real you can have a daily encounter with the real Jesus in word and deed. For more information about our church, visit crossingparagold.com. have a Bible, let me invite you to go to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. Next week we are going to be uh, kicking off a new series, an Advent series. We've entitled All is Calm. But this week uh, we are going to come to a conclusion in our series that we've entitled The Invisible War, a series where we've been learning together how to fight against the world, the flesh, and the devil. And if you are a guest today, uh, I want to welcome you again. My name is Jared. I'm one of the pastors here. And on behalf of the pastors and members, we are glad that you are here. I'm going to be reading uh, from the NIV translation today, and if it's helpful for you, as it is every week, we have our, our sermon notes on our YouVersion app, and so um, if that would be an assistance to you, we'd encourage you to go, and you can follow along uh, that way. But again, Matthew chapter 16, I'm going to start in verse 21. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem And suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And that he must be killed on the third day and be raised to life. Now I just want to stop right there and ask a question. Why is it that Jesus had to suffer and die? Uh, If Jesus really is God in the flesh, if he is perfect, if he is sinless, if he can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants. Why is it that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things and must be killed and then raised on the third day. And in short, what you need to know this morning is the reason that this had to happen, and this is a unique message only to the Christian religion, but what the gospel tells us is that every single person in this room, right, including me, is a sinner. We have all sinned, we have all fallen short of the glory of God, and our sins, the Bible is clear, uh, is a wage, the wages of our sin is death, which means all of us in here, when we have sinned, we have accrued a debt against God that is so large, the only way that we could pay for that sin is through our life. But God, rather than making us die for our sins, actually sent Jesus Christ in our place to make a payment for our sins through his very life. Jesus went to the cross and he shed his blood for you and for me so that no matter who you are or where you come from today, no matter what you have done or have not done, you can be forgiven and freed. Like This is the gospel message. And we know that the check that Jesus cashed with his body cleared because three days later he rose from the dead, conquering sin, death, and hell so that you and I can stand before God one day holy, blameless, and accepted. This is the best news on the planet. It is the gospel message, but Peter here, he doesn't get it. Because after Jesus saying this in verse 22, it says Peter took Jesus aside. So can you just imagine uh, Peter doing this? Like, hey, Jesus, you got a moment? Like, come over here with me. And Peter, he he apparently thinks he's going to teach Jesus a few things here. And so he says uh, to Jesus, it says he begins to rebuke him, And he says, never, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But verse 23, Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan, which sounds like a pretty bad day for Peter. Um, I would say at the top of the list of things that I hope Jesus never calls me, one of them would be Satan, right? That's not an endearing uh, term. 
And so he says, get behind me, Satan. And this seems like kind of a, a harsh thing for Jesus to say, but what he wants to make abundantly clear to Peter and to you and me today is that the way that Satan, the way the devil gets access into our life is through our refusal to adopt the way of the cross, which is what we're going to look at in our message today. Jesus goes on and he says to Peter, you are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. So Peter, all you care about is your comfort, your instant gratification, the here and the now. And then look at this. Verse 24, Jesus said to his disciples, so apparently Jesus believes that just like Peter, they all have a temptation to try to have Christianity without a cross. And he says to them, listen to this, whoever wants to be my disciples must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life, and the word for life there can be translated soul, Whoever wants to save their life or their soul will lose it. But whoever loses their life or loses their soul for my sake will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Or who or, or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels. Then he will reward each person according to what they have done. I want to pray for us one more time and then we can dive into this. Father, I just ask that right now through your Holy Spirit that you would capture our hearts and our attention. I, um, Father, everything that we have is a gift from you. The breath that we just took, it's just from you. Every single stitch of clothing that we own, our house, our food, you're such a good and gracious God. And you've given us your son, Jesus, for payment for our sins so that we can have eternal life with you. And I pray that right now as we dive into this word that we will be reminded that, that we too have a cross to bear, that there is a cost to our discipleship to you. But I pray that as we'll see today that the reward far outweighs that cost. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray and ask these things. Amen. Well, whether you realize it or not, we live in a branded culture. And what I mean by that is we live in a culture where organizations and businesses spend an extraordinary amount of time, money, and energy trying to design logos that are meant to communicate to the world what they are all about. Uh, whether it be the number 31 that is in the Baskin-Robbins B and R that signifies the fact they have 31 flavors of ice cream, or uh, the arrow and the FedEx logo, you see it between the E and the X, that is meant to show that we are about progress and moving forward. Um, or it be the Amazon logo, which you have the arrow pointing from the A to Z, which is meant to communicate that, hey, we are the one-stop shop for all of your shopping needs. Um, no matter what organization or business it is, right, all businesses, all organizations spend a lot of resources trying to come up with a brand or a logo or a symbol that communicates what they are all about. And this idea of branding, what I want you to understand, isn't simply a corporate idea, it's an individual idea. And what I mean by that is whether it is the shirts that we wear, or it is the vehicles we drive, or it is the phones that we talk on, we all, in one way, shape, or form, express ourselves through brands, through, through logos and symbols that are meant to communicate to the world, this is what we are all about. And the reason I share that with you this morning is because when it comes to Christianity, for thousands of years now, the brand, the logo, the symbol that is meant to communicate to the world, this is what we are all about as Christians, is the logo, is the symbol of the cross. 
And though in our culture, the cross has been reduced to nothing more than an architectural feature on a building, as you see in this picture, or maybe a piece of jewelry, for those in Jesus' day, what you need to understand is the cross actually meant something much, much different. Because for those in Jesus' day, the cross actually represented to them a form of torture and execution that had been perfected by the Roman Empire in order to aid them in their quest for world domination. Which is why then, in Matthew 16, if you would have been a part of the crowd, when Jesus said to you, if you want to be my disciple, you must pick up your cross and follow me, what you would have heard loud and clear, and rightly so, is that what Jesus is saying to you is that if you want to be my disciple, you must be willing to die to yourself. Which, if we can be honest, sounds, especially in an age of self-fulfillment like the one we are living in, that sounds pretty absurd. I mean, you think about the messages and the slogans that we hear every single day, things like be true to yourself or follow your heart or never let anybody else tell you what to do. I was thinking this past week as I was in the gym, how even in the world of health and fitness, which by the way, I am all about, clearly as you can see, right, this muscle physique, but even in the world of health and fitness, which is supposed to be all about dying to yourself, in this world, the reason we are ultimately told we are to die to ourselves, the reason we are told to say no to donuts or yes to the early morning wake-up call to CrossFit, the reason we are told to do this ultimately, if you think about it, is just about self-fulfillment. We are told to deny ourselves just so we can look good for the purpose of looking good or so we can feel good simply for the purpose of feeling good. If you think about the careers that we often choose or the career paths we tell our kids to pursue or the college to attend, oftentimes the reason we choose the career we choose is not for the purpose of blessing the world or making much of Jesus, but for the purpose of blessing ourselves and making much of ourselves, whether it be to make a you know, big salary or to have a corner office or a certain status. Right? Again, it is all about self fulfillment. And because this idea of self-fulfillment is not only true in the gym or the workplace, but because it has become the air that we breathe in American society, most of us cannot fathom a vision for the good life that does not involve getting what we want. This is why Robert C. Roberts, who is a professor and psychologist and follower, says the following, we have now in our culture been led to believe the self is sacrosanct, meaning it is so important that nobody should tamper with me. If I want it, I should be able to get it, and you should not stand in the way. Like, who are you to tell me what to do? He goes on to say, just as in earlier times it was thought never fitting to deny God, now it never feels right to deny oneself. I was thinking this past week about the Crusades uh, back in the ninth century and how before the Crusade, knights would be baptized in their full armor. Maybe you've heard about this, to where when they were being baptized, they would literally hold their swords out of the water as the symbol, Jesus, you can have all of this, but you cannot have my sword. Because I need this sword to kill my enemies, you cannot take this from me. And it's easy for us to look at that now in 2019 and kind of mock that or laugh at it and say, that's kind of silly. But if we can be honest, isn't that what some of us are doing every day? And the fact that we don't hold up a sword, like, I know I personally don't have a sword. I doubt you do as well. Um, so we're not going to hold up a sword, maybe, but for some of us, we are holding up our wallet. We are holding up our schedule. We are holding up our relationships. We're holding up our habits. We're holding up our food. We're holding up our career, this thing in our life. And we are essentially what we're saying to Jesus is you can have all of this, but Jesus, you cannot have that. 
And what you need to know today is, though, this has become very normal, even within the American church. Guys, please hear me. This is not the way of Jesus. For the way of Jesus, according to him, verse 24, is again, he says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. And if that seems like a tough sell to you this morning, you're like, why in the world would I do something like that? Well, Jesus anticipates that that's a question you'd be asking, and he answers the question for you. In verse 25, again, he says, for whoever wants to save their life, or again, their soul, will lose it. But whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. The key word in that passage is the word will. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Notice for Jesus, he doesn't say whoever wants to save their life might lose it. Hey, notice he doesn't say in here that, that, that whoever chooses to lose their life for me ought to find it. No, he says you will find it. It is a guarantee. And this is one of the things I love about Jesus and one of the things that makes him so offensive to our culture. And that is that Jesus is a pretty black and white kind of person. He's pretty cut and dry as we see right here. And what he says is essentially is this, is you today have two options before you. He says that option A, and I think we can put this on the screen for you, is that you can either deny Jesus and follow yourself, or option B is that you can deny yourself and follow Jesus. And if you notice, these have radically different results. One of them results in, as you can see, losing your life, and the other option results in you saving your life. With that being said, what I want to do in the time that we have left is I want to take a few moments and I just want to walk through this and consider the implications of it in our day-to-day life. And so if you look back at the screen at option A, what we see is that when we deny Jesus and follow self, there are at least three things that happen to our soul or to our life. The first one is this, is when we choose to deny Jesus and follow self, we become unsatisfied. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11, Solomon says that when we were born, God placed eternity inside of our hearts. I want you to think about that. What that means is no matter where you came from or when you were born or how old you are, when you were born, God placed in you a desire for something eternal, something that cannot fade away, which means when you were born, God placed inside of you a desire for himself. And what that means, therefore, is when you try to fill this gap of eternity with something or someone apart from God, if we try to find satisfaction and fulfillment in things like beauty or our career or fitness or our accomplishments or our marriage or our kids, you ultimately never will find satisfaction. This is why in the words of the great Augustine, he says, our hearts are restless until they find rest in God. Because at the end of the day, please hear me, There is nothing apart from a relationship with Jesus that will satisfy the ravenous hunger in your soul. And this is something that I've just been learning the hard way in my life. I think about how whenever we planted the church seven years ago, um, there was just six people in the church. And because I tend to be somewhat of a performance junkie, because I can tend to believe that I'm valued by my accomplishments, I remember I was planting the church and thinking to myself, you know, if we could just get 75 committed adults I'd be happy because 75 was the average size church in Arkansas. That's where that number came from, by the way. I did my research. If I can just be average, I'd be happy. But then we get 75 people, and what do you think happens? You think I was satisfied? 
It's like, no, man, we need to get 100. Triple digits, that sounds pretty good. But you get to 100, eventually you're like, no, no, 85% of churches in America never break the 200 barrier. So if we can get more than 200 people actively involved in our missional communities, then I'll be happy. And then we broke that barrier. And then it just kind of continued. I thought, okay, if we get to 300, then I'll be happy. And we got to 300. Well, if we can get 400 people in the missional community, I mean, you know, we, we broke that barrier. And what happens in the process is every time I would raise the bar and I would reach the bar, guess what would happen to the bar? It would just raise again. And here we go again. I didn't have time to even celebrate anything. Just continue to pursue, continue to run after. Just, and, and every time that I would get to this level, what would happen is I wouldn't become more and more satisfied. I would become more and more in want of that thing. And that's just really the way that life works. I think about um, that quote that Adam shared last week from uh, John D. Rockefeller, who's the most, who was the wealthiest man to ever live. And, and when someone once asked John D. Rockefeller, hey, how much money is enough? Do you remember his answer? What did he say? Just a little bit more. You ever feel like that? Like, I know I do. Like, I don't want to be a millionaire. Um, I don't even necessarily feel like I need six figures to be happy but I do feel like I need a little bit more than what I got. Just a little bit more. If I can have just a little bit more money, like maybe another $100 a month, like that'd be pretty sweet. And, and, and the thing is, like whether it's money or sex or power, which by the way, power is just all about trying to control the world around you, because none of these things can fill the gap of eternity. The more you get these things, the more you're actually going to want And the result is you will find yourself on this treadmill where you will run after satisfaction with all of your heart without ever getting any closer to it. Does that make sense? But on the flip side of that, if you deny yourself and you follow Jesus, as you see on the screen, you will be satisfied. I think of the Apostle Paul who, writing from prison, said, I have suffered the loss now of all things for the cause of Christ. But then he goes on later and he says, I have learned to be content in all situations which sounds crazy to me. I don't know about you, but I struggle a lot with discontentment in my own life. I mean, throughout the week, I was just thinking just this past week, I found myself at times discontent with my house. Other times I found myself discontent with my kids, discontent with my truck, discontent with my job, discontent with my marriage, discontent with my body, discontent with my, my, the amount of money I had, discontent with my status. And I read the Apostle Paul, and I'm like, man, this is amazing to me. Paul says, I have learned to be content in all situations. And how is that possible? Because he said first, I was willing to suffer the loss of all things for the cause of Christ. Meaning, rather than Paul clenching his fist around his reputation or his money or his comforts or his status, because he saw Jesus truly as a treasure chest of joy, he said, I'm willing to deny myself. I'm willing to pick up my cross and follow after you. And what is the result? He found contentment. He found satisfaction. Second, if we move on in option A, we see that whenever we deny Jesus and choose to follow ourselves, we become disintegrated. And here's what I mean by that. And please hear me because this part's a little bit technical. Despite what you have been told, your soul is not this cartoonish part of you that floats up to heaven when you die. But rather, the soul, which you see mentioned here several times in Matthew 16 is the capacity to integrate all of your parts, your mind, your body, and your emotions into a single whole life. And so if you think of your soul, think of it like this computer program designed by God for the purpose of connecting, integrating, and running your entire operating system together as it should be. Again, mind, body, and emotions. And what you need to understand, I know it's kind of hard to wrap your mind around, but what you need to understand is this. 
When you choose to deny Jesus and follow yourself, your soul, according to the scriptures, will begin to literally disintegrate. Which means, rather than you being held together, happy and whole, you will begin to fall apart. Whether it be an overwhelming amount of anxiety, or an uncontrollable anger, or an addiction, on one level or another, you will become conflicted, your soul will begin to hemorrhage and leak, and as a result, you'll miss out on the life God created you to experience. And there are so many examples I can give you of this. One of them that came to my mind is um, back in 2010, I was eating lunch with a mega church pastor. Some of you would know his name if I mentioned it. And in many ways, I was looking at this guy's life and just envying every bit of it. I mean, this guy had cool hair. He had a great tan. He had a tight polo because he had big biceps like bulging out of it. And for an hour and a half, I listened to this guy tell me about how successful he is, about how he grew his church to like 3,500 people. And they just finished this $25 million building project and, and how millions of people listen to him every single month. And as a young pastor, I was like, man, that sounds amazing. Like I'm sitting there like coveting this guy's life. I mean, he was successful in every way from the outside looking in. But Little did I know that behind the scenes, a root of bitterness had begun to grow in his life and that he had become very self-righteous. He even at one time accidentally called a friend of mine and he overheard him cussing his wife on the other line. It just became this uncontrollable anger. His preaching began to get this harsher and harsher tone. And as a result of all of this, because he was one man on the stage and a completely different man behind, what happened is his soul literally began to disintegrate to where his relationships would fall apart, his head became disconnected from his heart, his body began to fail him, and now, despite the fact that he had this magnificent home on the beach, at a relatively young age, he now finds himself in a nursing home with a mental disorder. I mean, it is a picture, literally, of a ruined soul. And it is what Jesus is getting at here in verse 26 when he says, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world if in the process they forfeit their own soul? I used to read that and think Jesus was just talking about going to hell, which is a real place, by the way. But here, the more I study the soul, the more I realize Jesus is not talking about a destination. He's talking about a diagnosis. And what he is saying to you and me today as a warning is if you choose to live this way, if you choose to deny me and follow yourself, this is what will happen. You will become disintegrated. You'll become disconnected from God, which means you will begin to fall apart. But on the flip side, if you deny yourself and follow Jesus, notice he says what happens. You will become integrated, which means rather than you traveling through life like a car without a steering wheel, your soul will become this healthy center that organizes and guides you in every single area of your life. And it's so important that we get this today because, listen, some of you have begun to believe the lie that if you're going to be happy, you've got to change all your circumstances. Does that make sense? And so you've been told that if you're going to be happy and whole, you need to reorder the world around you the way you want it. But according to Jesus, again in Matthew 16, happiness and wholeness comes not by reordering the world around you, but by re, you reordering yourself around Christ. Like that's what we see here. And again, this is something as a 36-year-old man, I still have a ton to learn, but this is something, again, I've kind of had to learn the hard way because I can tend to be somewhat of a perfectionist right? Like I can be, uh, for example, I, I got to use um, someone's uh, river house uh, this past week, and there's a beautiful scenery like outside the door, but I could barely even focus on it because there was a smudge on the glass. And it was like, I need to get that like, you know, it's like I couldn't see the forest because of smudge kind of thing. Does that make sense? And so it's like, it's just a, uh, that's just me, man. I come home and it's like, there's a piece of dust on the floor or trash or whatever. The rest of the house can be immaculate, but it's like, I got to clean that up before I can relax. 
And, and so because that can be somewhat my personality, what I have found myself to do in my life is to think that like, if I can get rid of all the trouble out there, if I can get rid of all the messes, like, then I will be happy. Like, am I relating to anybody else in here? Is it just me? Am I the only one? And, 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 and so what happens then is if this is you, you know this, your life becomes like a game of whack-a-mole. Right? You ever played that at Chuck E. Cheese or wherever else? It's like the mole pops up and bam, you whack it. Like that's just my life. Like problem, bam, problem, bam. Like solution, boom, whatever. Then like another one comes up and it's just exhausting. And if that's the way you live your life, listen, if you believe that happiness and wholeness comes from you reordering your life all in such a way that it's around you working just the way it should be and then you can be happy, your happiness will be nothing more than fleeting moments. Like you will never experience what you have been created to experience. But on the flip side, if you will deny yourself and choose to follow Jesus, your soul will be centered around God, which listen to me, listen, which means even if your world is falling apart around you, even if there is a mess, even if your teenagers are are falling off the tracks, even if your relationships seem to be falling apart or financially you're having difficulty, even if you're experiencing infertility or you've lost a loved one, you will still be able to hold it together because Christ will be the glue of your life. And I saw a beautiful picture of this just yesterday. As some of you know, I lost a friend slash brother slash fellow pastor recently, um, Randy Sheets. Some of you have heard me quote him um, in the last couple weeks. He's actually supposed to come in town and preach in February for us. Um, Lives in Washington, but um, left behind a beautiful wife and four beautiful kids and Yesterday, as I was watching his wife get up and talk at the funeral, she literally got up, and she was crying, and she was grieving, but all she could talk about, Adam saw it as well, is just how good God is and how thankful she is that God gave her 11 years with her husband. I mean, she just kept saying over and over, God, you're so good to me. Thank you. You're so good. I'm so amazed by your grace. And I was watching it with my wife, and my wife said, you know, if I wasn't a Christian, I would have looked at her and been like, she's crazy. But the reality is, you know what's going on in that moment? She's experiencing a peace that surpasses all understanding that Paul talks about. And you know why? Because she's a woman who has chosen time and time again to deny herself and follow after Jesus. This is just the life that he has on offer for us. Finally, if you look at option A, if we deny Jesus and we follow ourselves, we end up in slavery to our want. And what I mean by that is you eventually come to a place where you have to do what you want to do. If you remember, I said a couple weeks ago, freedom is not the ability to do what you want. Freedom is the ability to not do what you want. It's actually the ability to say no to your disordered desires that are turned in on themselves and away from God. But whenever you choose to follow self and deny Jesus, you become a slave to your desires, even if it's not good for you, even if it's not good for those around you or those whom you love and care about. Your desires become a slave, a master that drive you around and tell you where to go and what to do. And an easy example of this is substance abuse. We've all been impacted by that in some way. But it's also true of the socially acceptable addictions like work, fitness, social media, pornography. I mean, just pick your cultural narcotic. And it's a slavery because, listen... As long as your happiness is dependent on you getting what you want, you're never going to be happy. And you know why? Because one, sometimes the things you want will actually kill you. They're actually not good for you. You think they are, and you're limited sight, but they're not good for you. And two, um, even if sometimes you do have things that are good and beautiful and true that you want, guess what? Because we live in a fallen world, you're not always going to get that. 
I think of the, the great theologian Carl Rayner who once said, in this life, all of our symphonies remain unfinished. This is an imperfect world. You're not going to always get what you want. And therefore, if your happiness is rooted in your want, you will become enslaved and imprisoned by those wants rather than being set free to live. But on the flip side, if you look at option B, if again you deny self and you follow Jesus, you will be free from the domination of want. You'll actually come to a place where, guess what? You'll be able to have peace and joy and contentment even if you don't get what you want. Can you imagine that? Um, I, I began to think about this this past week with the dynamic between my two boys. I have three kids, two boys, and right now the boys are really big into Legos. And they just kind of have all their Legos in this one big pot, and they'll start playing with them. And right now they're really big into the Avengers. And so there'll be, for example, an instance where they both want to play with the Iron Man Avenger, right? Character, Lego character. And, and because there's only one Iron Man and two kids, it basically ends up creating World War III. Uh, and, and you would think, as a father, like a good parenting technique would be like, hey, you know, you can have it for 15 minutes and you can have it for 15 minutes and all will be well. But that just does not work in my house. Maybe in your house, not in my home, right? And so what will happen is, is, is eventually, right, I watch this dynamic unfold where whoever does not get the Iron Man loses their mind. I mean, literally, like, their life is ruined. They're like, just kill me now. It's like, it's over. You know what I mean? It's like, it's crazy. And I mean, they literally go insane until you give them like an apple juice or whatever. And they're just like, you know, like, okay, you're fine. And they, they go off. But, but for a while, I mean, they just, they go crazy. And the reality is, if some of us can be honest, like we're not that different as adults. Like, do you realize like the goal of a disciple of Jesus is to come to a place where you move beyond that childish selfishness? Like that's the goal. The goal is to come to a place where guess what? Even if I don't get the Iron Man, even if I don't get the dream job, even if I don't get the house I want or the car I want or the life that I thought I wanted, guess what? My day is not going to be ruined. My week's not going to be, my, my year is not going to be ruined. The goal for us guys is to grow up beyond the place where we are dominated by our want like a little kid. And the reality is, listen, for some of you in the room that if you can just be honest, you are growing older, but you're not growing up. And what I mean by that is you're still living in a way that you're being controlled by your wants. And if that is where you are today, again, the invitation from Jesus is what? To come and to die to yourself. To realize that true happiness and true wholeness, despite what you've been told by the world, does not come from getting what you want when you want it, but it comes from submitting your wants and your desires and your whole life to Jesus. And know that when you do, you find life that is truly life. With all that being said, and we're about done this morning, but to recap and to summarize what I've just said, if you deny Jesus and you sit on the screen, if you deny Jesus and you follow yourself, you will become unsatisfied, disintegrated, and enslaved by your wants. This is what Jesus means when he says you will lose your soul. And it is why Dallas Willard is famous for saying, when you follow Jesus, it will cost you, but it will actually cost you far more to not follow Jesus. But on the flip side, if you will lose your life, notice Jesus says in the passage, you will find it. You'll be satisfied, you'll be whole, you'll be complete, you'll be integrated, you'll be freed from the slavery of want, and in the end, you will have the eternal, abundant life with him where all sad things are going to come untrue. But again, guys, listen, before we leave this morning, notice this all starts with the cross. If Jesus was here today, he would stand before you and he'd say, hey, anybody in here want to follow me today? I'm about to be walking out the doors. Anybody in here want to follow me? I'd love for you to follow me. Want to be my disciple? I'd love for you to be my disciple. 
Oh, you want to be? You want to be? Great. Okay. Hey, here's what you need to do. Die to yourself. Deny yourself. Pick up your cross and follow me. For Jesus, entrance into his life and into the kingdom of God is not about your social status, your IQ, your character, or your good behavior, but it is about answering this very simple question of will I come and die? Are you willing to do this? In Galatians 2.20, the Apostle Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. And it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I'd never thought about this before until this past week when I started studying this passage and looking at it. But do you realize, and we're about done, but think about this. Do you realize the cross is not just something Jesus did for us? And it is. The cross is not, so hey kids, come on in, welcome. This just happens every now and then where our kids just kind of start filing in. It's a really dramatic moment, you know, you're about to build it. And it's just like, hey, here we are. Everybody get your seats. Okay. Hey, Hannah. Your mom and dad's right here. So... <laughs> the cross, think about this, is not just something that Jesus did for us, and absolutely is, but the cross is also something we do with him. The cross is not just a theory of atonement, and it absolutely is, that Jesus went to the cross and he paid the penalty for our sins, which is death. But the cross is not just a theory of atonement, it is also a practice in our lives. The cross is not just an event in the past life of Jesus, but it is also a way of life in the present for you and me and everyone else who wants to be a disciple of Christ. And so with that being said, as we come to a close in our series, The Invisible War, and with it our fall-long practice, the question is, how do we actually do this? Fight against the world, fight against the devil, fight against the flesh. I've been hearing it over and over, but how do we actually do this? And the answer is quite simple. We come and we die. We come and we die. What a paradox. Who ever heard of winning a war through surrender? We come and we die. And there's no new practice I'm going to give you this week in light of this. I did think about since it's Thanksgiving week, we could be like, hey, let's just all fast on Thanksgiving. That'd be a way to die to the flesh, right? (laughs) And so uh, not going to do that. And, uh, but what I am going to encourage you to do is this, is though we are done in this series, don't let the series be done with you. And I want you to just continue to think about these practices. Continue to remember, as we've said over and over each week, that spiritual disciplines are spiritual warfare. And so I want to encourage you, as you see on the screen, keep reading your Bible. Don't let that time be hijacked by anything. And if you need help learning how to read the Bible as pastors, I promise you, we'd love to help you learn how to do that. Keep memorizing scripture. Keep replacing the lies that you have been believing with the truth. Confess your sins to one another. And and don't just give like that bull, you know, like 99.9% confession. Give the full, clean, 100% confession. Here's what's going on. Here's a temptation I've been having. I just want to stop living in darkness. I want to bring it to the light and cut the power off. Keep practicing this discipline of fasting, which is literally starving your flesh for the purpose of feeding on the Spirit. Keep practicing silence and solitude. Do these disciplines. And please hear me, guys. When you do these disciplines, when you practice them, there are times they will feel like death. But what you will discover is that it is through these thousands of small deaths to self 
that it will in the end lead to one massive life in Christ. And so the call today as we come to a close in our series is to come and to die and listen and to trust that on the other side of that death is a resurrection. A resurrection that will release you into a life that is greater and deeper and more beautiful than you can ever imagine. All of reality points to this. Jesus wove this truth into the fabric of his creation. If you think about this, in just a moment, you're going to walk out these doors and you're going to see leaves falling from trees because winter is coming. And in winter, what's it going to look like? It's going to look like everything around you is dead. But we know that on the other side of winter is spring. On the other side of death is a life. God created it like that for a reason, to remind you of this truth we talked about today. If you think about gardening, which would be a great practice, I wish every single one of us would garden. We should do a whole practice and series on gardening. Uh, if we can figure out where it's at in the scripture and how to work it together. And so, um, but you think about gardening. Now, one of the verses I memorized a few weeks ago in our practice was out of John chapter 12, where Jesus says, unless a kernel of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Again, like even the idea of gardening, like agriculture, something has to die so that we can live. If you think about a meal, and this would be a good practice for you this week. If you think about a meal, every time you sit down and you eat, think about this at Thanksgiving, think about this when you eat with your missional community today. Every time you eat a meal, it's a reminder something had to die so that you can live. And you see, that is why Jesus gave us communion. As we said before, Jesus could have told us, hey, just look at the cross. That's what I want you to do when it comes to remembering what I've done for you. But instead, he gave us bread and he gave us juice as a symbol, as a reminder of the fact that he had to die so that we can live. And I just want to encourage you today, if you have trusted in Jesus Christ, if you have come to a place where you have laid your life down for him and you have experienced a dying to self and a falling after Jesus and trusting in his perfect life, death, and resurrection, then come and partake and be reminded of this truth today. We have two stations in the front. We have two stations in the back. You come and you can, even if you're not a member of our church, we encourage you. What we do is we tear off a piece of bread is how we do it here and we dip it in the juice, and then as we taste it, we just be reminded as it fills us up that we need Jesus over and over again. Again, we have a gluten-free option in the back left, your back right, if that would serve you. And if you're here today and you're not a Christian, man, I'm so glad you're here. In many ways, I'm more glad you're here than anybody else because you got a chance to hear the gospel today of what God has done for you through Jesus Christ. And today, you have an opportunity, rather than just receiving this bread and receiving juice, to actually receive Jesus Christ. For some of you in here, please hear me. We're almost done. Please hear this. Some of you have been told that you're going to heaven because you prayed a prayer. And you're not. There is nowhere in the Bible that says because you prayed a prayer that you are secured. The way that we see salvation occur is when we come to a place where we say, yeah, I don't want to just give Jesus my afterlife. I want to give him this life. One of the great heresies of the American culture is that you can have Jesus as your Savior and not have him as your Lord. You will not find that anywhere in here. And so the call for you today is the trust that Jesus actually knows better how to run your life than you do. And that he came and lived a perfect sinless life that you could never live. And he went to the cross and he took your punishment that was reserved for you. And he rose from the dead so that now, just as he experienced a death, burial, and resurrection, when you trust in Jesus and you die to yourself, you can experience a death, burial, and resurrection. You can be raised to a whole new life. 
and you can experience everything that we talked about today, the satisfaction that you've been craving and longing for in the salvation. And so if you want more information about that, here's what I would encourage you to do. The Bible is clear. Today is the day of salvation. Do not put this off. You might not have answered all your questions. Welcome to the club. I don't. You might still have sins you're struggling with, things that you're wrestling with, doubts, fears, whatever. Don't let any of that stop you. You come with the empty hands of faith to Jesus, and I promise you he will meet you where you are with his grace and his mercy and his love. And you will experience in him everything that you're longing for.